0: Have you listened to an audiobook lately? If you have, you're in good company. Across the board in Canada and internationally, from libraries to subscription services, the audiobook market is on the rise and has been for a while. Two years ago, when we surveyed Canadian consumers to learn about their book buying and reading habits, we found that audiobooks made up 1.3% of book purchases in Canada. In 2015, while numbers for print and e-books were either relatively flat or on a slight decline, Audiobooks were up to 2% of the market share. Meanwhile, the Association of American Publishers recently reported that sales of downloaded audiobooks in the U.S. increased by almost 40% in just a year. So we thought we'd spend this month's episode talking about the resurgence of the audiobook, where it's coming from, how it's being experienced by different players in the industry, and where the format may be heading next. Over at Scribd, head of marketing Jen Singerman has some thoughts on why people may be returning to the audio format.
1: The reason that people love them so much is that they can read a book while doing something else. So with most of the new cars, having Bluetooth in them, they can listen on their commutes. Um, having a smartphone where you can download the, the book for offline listening, you can, you can really do anything and still read, read a great book. We've seen a healthy increase in, in audiobook consumption over the past couple of years. Um, we're seeing a lot of the, the major publishers investing in audiobooks, um, just because it, it really is the fastest growing segment in, in the industry right now.
0: The digital audiobook does seem like the perfect format for our on-the-go multitasking world. And the booming popularity of podcasts has probably played a large role in driving up renewed interest in audiobooks for those same reasons. If you've listened to a major podcast lately, you've probably heard an ad for Audible, which isn't a coincidence. So to start things off, we're going to talk with a Canadian author working at the intersection of podcasts and audiobooks, followed by a publisher on a mission to produce and highlight homegrown Canadian audiobooks, and we'll cap things off with someone who's been working to advance the audiobook format through technology and the internet for the last 10 years. Terry Fallis is a Canadian author who's probably best known for his award-winning debut novel, The Best Laid Plans. But you may not know that Terry podcasted that book for free, chapter by chapter on his own equipment, before it was picked up by his publisher. And he's been doing the same thing for all of his books ever since.
2: When I finished the manuscript, I did what most writers do when they want to be Published, I sent out you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of plot synopses and sample chapters and query letters to literary agents and publishers around uh, the country and down into the United States. And then in my wildest dreams, I sat back and I waited for the feeding frenzy to ensue over my debut blockbuster novel. <laughs> And that feeding frenzy never it never happened. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't even make a big enough impression on the traditional publishing establishment to get a uh, you know an automatically generated rejection letter. I didn't yeah. get rejection letters. So uh, uh, I maybe that was because I'd written a satirical novel of Canadian politics. Uh, but uh, so when that when I got no response, I decided to, try self-publishing the novel just to get it out there. And while I was going through the self-publishing process, which took many months, I uh, podcast the novel chapter by chapter, uh, one chapter each week until it was finished, and gave it away for free just as a uh, an experiment in this emerging world of social media. At least it was back then. That was 2007 when I did that. And, and it went very well. There, People seemed to find it, and they seemed to like it. And I'm not sure I ever would have self-published had the response to the podcast not been as positive as it was. So I, I felt pretty, uh, pretty fortunate.
1: Did you ever, were you at all concerned that giving it away for free would cannibalize future sales?
2: Uh, Well, the thought did occur to me, and many people raised that uh, issue with me, and I never would have given it away in print form for free, Mm -hmm. Uh, but my thinking was if you change the format, give it away in a different format, in my case the audio format, and people listen to it uh, and enjoy it, chances are they are going to go and buy a copy, if not for them, uh, for their friends or family or birthday presents, Christmas presents, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think the anecdotal evidence I've had over the course of five novels is that that is, in in fact, the case. I'm quite convinced we've sold more print copies because of the free uh, audio podcast version.
1: Do you know of any any author doing the same thing, or are you, as far as you know, the only one?
2: Uh, well, I'm, I don't think I'm the only one. Uh, I was—I think I was the only one in Canada doing it at the time I started, back in January of 2007. But I got the idea from a, a thriller horror writer uh, in the U.S. by the name of Scott Sigler. And uh, he couldn't find a publisher, and he started podcasting his novels just as a sort of an experiment – and uh, legions of listeners subscribed to his podcast, and on the strength of a of a growing audience, he landed a publishing deal and has been a New York Times bestseller. Uh, after that, so I read about that in the New York Times, and I thought, well, I know how to podcast, and I'm not finding any traction with my first novel. Why don't I uh, Why don't I try it? And uh, it uh, it seems to have worked pretty well for me.
1: Have you ever had a I don't know anyone, the publisher or anything raise any concern or say, oh, I don't know, Terry, maybe we ought to <laughs> not do that
2: <laughs> right. now it's a, that's a good question. when i when I was picked up by McClellan and Stewart after my uh, first novel came out uh, as a self-published novel, they they picked it up. And uh, I, of course, asked them, you know, or told them at least about the podcast, and they knew about it already. And they have given me permission, uh, and it's in my, in my uh, contracts with McClellan and Stewart ever since, that I can podcast my novels and give them away for free. So I, I hold those, uh, those audio rights.
1: Are your books available as audio books?
2: No, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> not that I'm aware of. I mean, anyone can download it for free from iTunes, so mm-hmm. I don't know that there'd be a huge market for a, yeah. an audio version of it. Uh, and I still still feel some loyalty to my podcast listeners who really helped, I think, uh, make me a writer in a way, or at least help me break into the publishing world. Uh so I think I will continue to use the free model in the hopes that it will help drive more sales of the print version uh but I have read these reports that audiobooks are are on the rise and that's a uh, you know that's an interesting take maybe it's because we're so uh are we're consuming so much media these days that uh, maybe some people are finding reading by listening is easier that's uh uh, so I'm, I'm watching that with interest and I'll, I'll continue to podcast my novels, but uh, I think I'll stick to the free model.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that's something that, I mean, would you recommend that model to other authors?
2: Uh, well, it's obviously a, a choice they have to make on their own, but but I I think the results can be very positive. I mean, a few things have to come together. You have to be able to read it and produce it uh, effectively so that the quality is high. Uh, not all writers, I think, read very well, <laughs> uh, and uh, it. And I'm not even sure I do, but I but I work at it at least to try and make it sound. Uh, more than just a, a flat monotone, particularly when you're in dialogue with different characters. Mm-hmm. Uh it makes it a bit uh, challenging to change your voice to make sure that there's, they're distinctive. Uh, but I think it is something, if you're having trouble uh, building an audience for your writing, uh, podcasting your work is certainly one way, and then promoting the podcast, that's one way to, to find an audience. Mm-hmm.
1: So you touched on this a little bit, but I'm actually curious about the the nitty gritty details of you actually producing your podcast. I mean, had you had any experience with audio work before you sat down to do this, or did you just learn as you went?
2: I have had I did have experience before I started it. I in 2005, uh, you know, a year and a half before I started my podcasting my novels, uh, I created with a colleague. Uh, the first podcast in Canada about public relations, which is my day job. And uh, it was called Inside PR, and it's still around. Ten years later, uh, the podcast is still going strong, although I'm no longer on the mic. But I did uh, four years of it, weekly episodes, so uh, nearly you know, 250 episodes or 400 episodes or something like that. I've lost track. Oh. Uh, maybe it was 250, 250 episodes. So um, I knew how to do it. I knew how to produce it. I knew how to edit. Uh, I use Audacity. I knew how to get good sound quality, how to put music on the front and music on the back and uh, upload it to our podcast host and uh, and get it out there. So uh, it's... Almost second nature to me now, uh, but it took a, a while to get into it at the beginning. Uh, but it takes me probably the episodes are about half hour in length of my novels, and it probably takes me maybe two and a half hours in total to produce it because I'll read it and then I'll edit it and got to write the the notes for the blog and all of that. So it takes some time, but I, I think it's uh, I think it's worth it.
0: There's a lot of truth in what Terry says about the different formats going hand-in-hand. More and more, people are consuming the same book in multiple formats, often simultaneously. In our 2015 report on audiobook usage in Canada, we found that 36% of audiobook users listened to a book they'd previously read in another format. But in that same report, 33% of listeners also said it's sometimes difficult to find a book they want to listen to. So this audiobook fairy tale is not without its challenges which we'll get to next. If you want to listen to an audiobook featuring Canadian content that's produced by Canadian talent, you may find the list of available titles a bit wanting. That's where David Caron, co-publisher at ECW Press, comes in. He's on a mission to make sure Canadian-produced audiobooks from Canadian publishers are plentiful and discoverable. So when did it first come about? Where did the idea
1: start and who kind of got it moving?
3: It um you know it's kind of been brewing for a while when you think about sort of what the elements are, the fact that you know we have all this this capability here um to do it. Um and there's been various companies that have tried to do some things over the years, uh like Hugh McGuire did LibriVox, uh which was more of a sort of voluntary um, but you know, um, sometimes more, but voluntary uh or author reading stuff that that uh, Hugh would distribute through librivox um, there 's a uh, post hypnotic press in in Vancouver that does some stuff, uh, and Carlin 's been great at what she 's done there. Um, there is podium publishing in Newmarket you know which often uh does sort of, uh its production in the in the US but it's based here in, in Canada. So there's been, you know, things brewing in the audiobook world here in in Canada. But really the the moment was uh at a meeting of the ACP with the Association of Canadian Publishers uh uh in January of uh, 2015. Uh when uh, we had a, a panel of librarians talking to us, and, and one of them uh, said, wow, you guys and audiobooks. Like, uh, you know, we need audiobooks. we got people coming into our libraries all the time saying, I want more audiobooks, and there just isn't enough Canadian-authored audiobooks available, and there should be. And I was thinking, yeah, but there is lots of Canadian-authored audiobooks out there. And I was sitting beside Alana Wilcox from uh, Coach House Books. Uh, so like there's a lot of Canadian-authored audiobooks out there. Like I know we have over 100 titles that are licensed to uh, to Audible, and we have more that's licensed to rec- Recorded and various books and uh, various publishers. And I, you know, but the problem is is I know the problem is that uh, lab- libraries are generally using OverDrive, for instance, to get access to their audiobooks, um, uh, or Midwest Tape for on the physical side of things. And and it's not easily identifiable, maybe that the, that these are Canadian authors. And I said we should just do something. Like why don't why don't we do something to make it more available? And why don't we actually do something to produce more stuff here? Because you know we were all talking earlier about the fact that um, the number of the amount of licensing had gone down since sort of the initial flurry back around five years ago. Uh, and Alana said yeah yeah yeah. And we were just like getting excited about this idea. And and then from there grew the idea. Why don't we just do it ourselves? And how can we you know. Figure out how to do it and budget for it, and you know, where do we, what do we do in terms of getting some seed money to, you know, make sure that we can, we can afford to do uh, this and have some financing to do it the first time around, that kind of thing.
1: So, what was done exactly on the side of promoting existing audiobooks, specifically with or to OverDrive in libraries?
3: Yeah, so we're we're in the middle of that right now, um, and I'm I'm asking all publishers. Uh, to send me lists of uh, the Canadian-authored audiobooks that they already have in existence, the so stuff that they've licensed and who they've licensed it to, um, so that we can, you know, present those kind of lists to, uh, to Canadian uh, libraries. And part of the problem is, is, you know, that I've discovered since sort of making that statement, is, is things like um, the fact that Audible... Uh, isn't available to Canadian libraries. Um, so it depends on who you license the stuff to that would determine whether or not your, your books are actually available to Canadian libraries or not. Um, so I'm asking publishers to give me that information now, and these are lists that I want to keep sending out to librarians so that they, they know what's available. And as we produce stuff, um, that's going to you know, form a, big part of, a core part of that list, and, uh, and you know, we're making sure that those titles are available to Canadian libraries.
1: Uh, in terms of producing some new Canadian audiobooks, books, um, what are the plans right now? If you can share, in terms of actual like uh, actual titles or uh, publishers that you're working with and um, projects that are kind of on the go.
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean, the biggest um, obstacle uh, at this point is is just uh, publishers finding the time to engage in something, which is you know it's sort of the norm of what they do um you know we 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 had to struggle with uh finding the time and resources to to include ebooks into our production and and you know we figured out how to make it an integral part of it so that now that doing you know now for everybody doing ebooks is just a part of publishing um you know we're in that stage now with the audiobooks for publishers to find some time to to figure out okay i gotta because there's you know i've got to Figure out which which books to do, and do some casting, and uh, and then to get into the studio with the uh, with the narrator, like all that stuff takes some time. So, um, so a number of publishers are already working on it. So, Coach House uh, and ECW um, have already been in the studio. Uh, Playwrights Canada Press is getting ready to go in the studio. Um, uh, Between the Lines is getting ready to go into the studio uh uh guernica editions is getting ready to go in the studio um coming up i know that Wool, Zach and win will be doing it in anna publications will be doing it Dundurn will be doing it um and a number of other companies have have said yeah we want to be doing this whether it's house of anancy or second story you know a number of companies have said yeah we want to we want to uh do one, two, three, multiples of of getting some audiobooks done um, so uh yeah, I mean, so in terms of titles, um, uh, having Andre Alexis read and getting out fifteen dogs was the was the first thing that we did. Um, so that is out there um, from e c w we've been uh, already recorded Cordelia Strube's on the Shores of Darkness. There is light. We've recorded Cynthia Mathens Alchemist Council. Uh Braden Wright just finished doing uh Nathan Whitlock's Congratulations on Everything. Um I know that uh, Andre is gonna record The Hidden Keys, which is the next book in the series after Fifteen Dogs. Um that I think he, actually I think he's already done that and they're already um working on the post on on that one. Um so yeah, there's a number of titles that are that are in the works. Um Uh, Playwrights Canada Press is going to go into the studio soon for uh, Jordan Tannehill's uh, Age of Minority. This initiative is is based on the fact that for years uh, uh, Canadian-owned publishers have been um, licensing uh, books to uh, other publishers, to mainly audiobook publishers like Audible or Recorded, um, to do the uh, audiobook versions of titles that they publish. and those companies are all based in the states, uh, and sometimes they use Canadian narrators, and but more often than not, they don't. Um, and that's not the way that the um, the larger publishers, the Big Five and Scholastic, uh, operate. They they produce their their stuff themselves. They view audiobooks as as a primary thing that they that they publish. Uh, much in the same way that that they view ebooks, um so if you see like ads for books that they do titles that they do you'll see you know available now in print ebook, and audio blah 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 and that's just how they view it uh, and the thought definitely was, well, we have uh the narration talent here we have the studio you know facilities, the studio talent here. Uh, why can't we work collectively to achieve the same thing, to look at it in the same way? That's the idea behind the project.
1: I mean, you mentioned that there are already, you know, lots of Canadian audiobooks out there. But uh, with this big push, do you think it'll be that's another, like we'll be doubling the number of Canadian audiobooks or um, just putting a few more out there to add to what's already a large number? I mean,
3: what, what is this going to add? yeah so our our goal is a hundred books over over twelve months uh so in a year a hundred books and and from there, I mean we picked a hundred books because you know we figured two a week that was a pretty ambitious thing to do and uh and go for that and also it would give us a good indication of uh across the board of of the kind of response that we'd have to it the kind of revenue we can we can expect i mean one of the things that I'm hoping to see happen is that this because this just becomes the start of something that that um this happens year over year, and as publishers, one of the things we need to know is okay great what what can we expect in terms of revenue from this so we can figure out. Uh, you know what kind of costs are justifiable for for making this happen. So 100 books was was this target that we thought, okay, w- that won't be dependent then on one title or a sort of a small group of titles. 100 is a is a pretty broad section of titles that that the revenue that comes from that it can be um, translatable into future years mm-hmm. in terms of projections. Um, uh, how it compares to what's out there. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I mean, since Audible did a fair number of the uh, of the, of the licensing, and that's not what's available to Canadian libraries. That's what we're trying to figure out: is exactly how much out there is currently available to Canadian libraries, and and if we add in a hundred books, what does that mean? Does that mean do we, do we double it? Does that mean something else? I don't know the answer to that yet, because I I uh, I'm still trying to get lists from people. I mean, right now I. In terms of stuff that's available that's not from audible, i don't we don't even have a hundred on the list, but I don't have the list from uh, from a lot of publishers yet, so it's hard to say.
1: I've heard a little bit about so I just want to kind of address, I guess technical challenges uh, mm-hmm. for producing audiobooks. So I've heard a little bit about the cost involved. Can you talk a little bit about what it actually costs to produce a full length audiobook?
3: Yeah, so the major costs are the talent to rec- to to voice it. Um, and then the studio time the studio sorry studio production time to, to make the audiobook so you know first of all you've got to pay that professional narrator because they're bringing like I said they're bringing something special to the project and and that's the sort of that's the first cost there they have to work out and then and then from there the production side of thing you know not only you're talking about an engineer to record it and, and a you know a good decent studio um, but then that engineer has to uh, do a lot of work to to edit that audio to take out the little clicks you know that can happen with a voice and to and to and to make it that enjoyable listening experience rather than just the sort of raw recording um, then from there uh, after that you 've got to proof it uh, and uh, just like any book you, you know you 've got to do your quality control. Um, you proof it. You figure out, oh there's some words dropped, or there's a little mouth noise there. We got to fix, or oh that got screwed up, you know. And then you're talking about getting the narrator back into the studio to do the the re-records. You got to then another round of of editing to have have those uh, incorporated into the into the final version. Um, and then you know, another proof again. Like so, an audio proof is obviously somebody listening to it from beginning to end. Um, to make sure that it's it's good quality, so that whole process, right? Is, that's an you know an iterative process between record, edit, proof, record, edit, proof until you get it right. So, it does sound pretty expensive. Yeah, and that's that was our you know like I said we we had this idea in January 2015, and then you know we didn't you know the first recording of 15 Dogs happened uh, you know at the, near the end of January 2016. Um, you know, and what happened in that year is, is we really took a look at, at these costs and tried to figure out how we can get them um, to be as reasonable as we can, um, given that we're, especially that, you know, we're trying something out that we don't know, right? Um, we can't really judge what our revenue is going to be because of what we've licensed to Audible, because there are pieces to our marketing that Audible won't be doing. On the same token, we're not, you know, like we're 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 not Audible. We're, we're, we're just distributing the books to Audible to, to have in their service, but we're not the we're not Audible as a publisher. And there may be other things that other revenue pieces that we don't get in terms of sales that Audible is able to get. We don't know. What we have to do is we have to find out. So so keeping the costs reasonable across the board and keeping the costs especially reasonable in this first year. Is something that we spent that that you know that 12 months doing in terms of talking with Actra about what the what an audiobook contract would look like, and talking with studios, and talking with you know potential potential producers or or brokers of of uh, studio services here in Toronto. Like that, it took some time to get those pieces into place to try and make those costs as reasonable as possible. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, a lot of the existing audiobooks that seem to um, be successful are, you know, for big best-selling blockbuster books or celebrity memoirs. And I mean, Fifteen Dogs was a huge book last year and is still a huge book. So, I'm sure it will find an audience. But for smaller books, I mean, does the cost of producing an audiobook um, will it match up with what gained? If the audience for those other books are fairly small.
3: Well, see, that's the nature of publishing, though, and that's the nature of, like, of, of what we as Canadian-owned publishers know. Um, we realize that, that you know, in terms of... You can look at publishing in one way. You can kind of see that, that top 1% and see the blockbusters and say, oh, that's publishing, but that's not, right? Publishing is, is all the books that, that, that we do, as well as those blockbusters so we know that there are books that do quite well even though they're for a niche a niche market or whether they're for a regional market or whether they're for you know a particular genre um, all of those things we we know that the book market is diverse and that readers are there for all sorts of kinds of books um, and you know if you just take that quick view you see the blockbuster and I, and that and that you know what I think is true is 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 that's the case for the audiobook market as well. That if you take a quick look at the audiobook market and you see, oh yeah, the top sellers are these. They're all genre fiction or they're all literate, you know, um, best-selling literary fiction. What you don't get to see because you don't get to be, you know, ensconced in the numbers is how much is selling of other books. Um, We can see that a little bit as publishers in terms of those of us who have licensed a fair number of books that we can see, oh, yeah, no, this memoir actually has done quite well. Um, Or this, you know, uh, mystery book by, you know, we have mystery book by, mysteries by, you know, um, Ann Emery and John McFetridge and things like that who uh, have an audience. You know, it may not be a blockbuster audience in the terms of, you know, a national bestseller, but they have a good audience and they sold well as audiobooks. So that's the thing that we know, um, and we're looking to see that just transfer itself in terms of uh, uh, the audience for an audiobook.
0: Someone who's no stranger to experimenting with different models is Hugh McGuire. In 2005, he founded LibriVox, an online library of free public domain audiobooks produced by an army of remote volunteers. Since then, he's funded a few other projects, including Iambic, an audiobook production company based in Montreal that partners with publishers, authors, and narrators to produce books that have been overlooked by traditional audio publishers. So you've been involved in the market for quite a
1: while now, at least since 2005, right?
4: Uh, Yes, I guess it depends a bit how you define market, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I've been doing audiobook stuff since 2005, for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on how... Perception or use or demand for audiobooks has changed in the last decade. How, what, from your perspective, what are the changes been over the last ten years?
4: Yeah, I think that um, when we started working on LibriVox in particular, um, and I guess I still get this, but but people say, oh, books on tapes um, or books for the blind, um, and I think the change. Uh, is driven largely by podcasting, which has, um, sort of altered the landscape of this notion that, that we can get access to all sorts of different kinds of audio. Um, and Audible, of course, has been a big, um, a big advertiser on podcasts for many, many years. And so I think it's, uh, just a lot easier for people to experiment with audiobooks. And, you know, that the, I think the compelling use case for me is that driving uh, you can't be reading a paper book while you're driving, uh, but you can be listening to an audio book. And so the, um, I think that notion is just a lot more present than it was 10 years ago, largely because of both, uh, the new technology of smart, smartphones, but also the access to different kinds of audio. And so I think, uh, I think certainly the perceptions changed uh, considerably in, mm. in the last decade.
1: So as things start to shift more towards audiobooks, and we've seen uh, increases in demand of fairly large percentages over the last two years, um, do you think there are any current challenges facing the industry, specifically publishers and distributors and creators of content, uh, when it comes to adapting to that kind of shifting marketplace and producing more audiobooks for people?
4: Well, I think one uh, big challenge is that the um, if you want access to the digital audiobook market, there's effectively a monopoly with um, Audible, and so it means you have really one channel to negotiate with, and Audible is a big, giant Amazon-owned company that uh, is not um, necessarily so easy to uh, get good terms with, and so I think that's a real challenge that uh, no one else um, has managed to make much of a dent in the um, audiobook market beyond Audible, uh, as a delivery platform. And so that, that poses a big challenge of, of just, um, the, uh, you know, it means you have one person to negotiate with and, and, uh, that's, that's always not the best situation to be in. Um, there are other channels, of course, but, but, uh, in my experience, they're, um, very small and bordering on insignificant. So, um, and then I guess the other thing is just that the, the, the process of making a good audiobook is, is time consuming and expensive and so it, it automatically kind of makes a lot of the more, um, niche content, uh, you know, it becomes harder to make that commercially viable in audiobook than it might be in, in print or ebook
1: we can't really come up with just one solution right here right now, I suppose. Yeah. But any ideas about, I don't know what an ideal landscape would look like or something that can make a difference.
4: Yeah, it's a good question. It's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a very tough one. Um, I think that, you know, what we did at Iambic and that got elaborated, I think in a lot more um, powerful way by uh, Audible's platform, ACX, where it was kind of a, a, marketplace exchange for creators and publishers Um, that helps bring out a lot of content that might not come out otherwise. Um, I think the fact that the market is growing is, is great. uh, And that uh, will provide opportunity for new entrants to do different kinds of things. But, but it's one of the, um, you know, general challenges of the digital marketplace is that uh, when there's a really powerful incumbent um, it's it's hard to uh, to challenge that um, and I guess uh, so yeah having solutions I'm, I'm not quite sure what the what the solutions are um, mm-hmm. but I think that you know publishers being engaged um, engaged with audio is it is helpful and it means that more people will be thinking about it as, as an opportunity for sure
1: so another issue that been around a little while. Um, is the issue surrounding how people listen to books in terms of whether or not text-to-speech is enabled in e-readers? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So the larger issue is people with visual impairments. Um, they can have books they've downloaded read aloud to yeah. them, but there's a copyright issue around there for publishers, and they prefer people buy audiobooks. But you know, there's a very small percentage of books that are made available as audiobooks. So yeah. Uh, yes. Well,
4: I'm. I have a radical position on that that um, publishers should do everything they can to make it easier for people to read more books and whatever that means and to me you know if you're not enabling text-to-speech on a ebook then it means that when someone could be getting further along in that book and finishing it and buying a new one they're not because they uh, can't be reading it at a particular time um, and I think it's a little bit uh, bizarre as well the notion that you would buy an ebook and then expect someone to also buy the audiobook and and if you know audiobooks can't compete uh with text to speech then i think we should all reevaluate the value of making professional narrated audiobooks in the first place um what i mean is that a professional narrated professionally narrated audiobook should be a much more pleasing experience than text to speech and if it's not then What's the point of spending that money to do it? And the reason is that people are going to choose that format um, over another. Um, and I don't think text-to-speech would have any impact on audiobook sales. But my opinions on copyright and how publishers approach things um, hasn't often been embraced very fully by the publishing industry. So,
1: Audiobooks still make up a fairly small section of the pie in terms of preferred format among readers. Do you think readership will ever be evenly split between prints, ebooks, and audio? No, No,
4: I think that it's a very different format used for very different purposes. Um, I know that some people prefer audio almost exclusively over other formats, but that's going to be, I think that'll always be a smaller percentage. Um, I think what's, you know, the the bigger story for me has been the the plateauing of ebook sales, which, uh, I didn't expect, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Um, so no, I think it, it you know, the, the, the people have spoken so far anyway, and that print remains the preferred format. Um, ebooks are a second format, and I gather that, um, audiobooks are starting to grow faster. Um, and I suppose I could see audio taking over, uh, ebooks, because in a way audio, um, provides a totally different mechanism to be reading, whereas ebooks are the same mechanism, just in a slightly different uh, presentation. So, you know, audio has a, the possibility to fill a whole other um, market, I think, that is, is totally different than, than print books, um, in a way that ebooks are, are sort of a, a replication of print books. So, yeah, I think there's a huge upside to audio, for sure.
0: If you'd like some more analysis and dissection of the audiobook market, you can find more information in the BookNet Canada blog around the first week of August. A big thank you to Jen Singerman, Terry Fallis, David Caron, and Hugh McGuire for joining me on this month's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, you can visit booknetcanada.ca. We gratefully acknowledge the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Canada Book Fund. And of course, thanks to you for listening.